Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. I don't know how many months, but we've been kind of going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse almost, through the book of Acts, and um, it's been an amazing study to see how the early church has developed uh, uh, early on and some of the struggles that they went through and some of the, uh, uh, the challenges they had and some of the successes. And, and here recently we've been talking specifically about Paul. Uh, you know, from chapter 21 on through the end of the book of Acts, it's really this singular narrative about uh, uh, Paul's uh, trial, his last uh, missionary trip. Uh, and so uh, as we uh, move into chapter 24 today, we're really just continuing the narrative that began in chapter 21. If you remember, that's when uh, Paul returned to Jer- Jerusalem, and he was uh, in the temple, and uh, the, the religious people there really got upset, and they yanked him out of the temple, and the Romans ended up taking uh, him into custody uh, because there was such a big riot, and then uh, they ended up having to, to move him out of that city into Caesarea because there was a threat on his life, and so there's a lot of stuff that's really been happening, and when we pick up uh, this in chapter 24, that is where we are. And, um, you know, today I, I kind of want to start with, are there any procrastinators in the room this morning? Come on, hold your hands up higher. Come on. Yeah, that might be, I might have to put my hand up for that. Let me ask it maybe a different way. Are, is there anybody here that has been putting off something that you know you need to do? For some of us, maybe that is a, uh, a lot of things uh, that we need to do. So I'm a bit of a procrastinator. It depends on what it is specifically, but there are a few areas in my life that I am a severe procrastinator, one of which is mowing the lawn. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm glad I'm not alone on that because I know there's some of you out there who are very particular about your well-manicured lawns, and I appreciate that. We just can't be friends. Right, because, or at least, I, I, I mean, I just, I hate lawn care. I just do. I'd rather go to the dentist than have to work in the lawn for some reason. And, and I just didn't get that green thumb bug. So I appreciate a beautiful lawn. It's just not for me. And so I procrastinate as much as I can doing my lawn. Matter of fact, if you've ever been to my house, you would probably say amen to that because it's very obvious that I don't like doing yard work. Matter of fact, I am completely comfortable with a little bit of shame from my neighbors about how my lawn looks, right? I'm completely comfortable with a little bit of shame. It doesn't bother me one bit to think about what they're thinking of my lawn. Uh, uh, And so I'll wait as long as I can uh, to mow the grass. And often that line of when I need to mow, I know when it comes because the grass gets high enough that I know I'll have to raise the deck of the mower, which means I'll have to mow sooner the next time, right? So that's the line for me. I don't want to have to raise the deck 
because I want to make sure I can have the, uh, you know, the most space between most. So that's normally when I did that. Well, I had pushed off mowing my grass for so long, and it finally came to that day where it was high enough, and I had to cut it, and it just happened to be the hottest day of the year. Last Thursday, I think it was, or Friday, I think it was. Oh, my Lord. It was like 102 degrees outside, and I had no choice. I had to mow my grass. And so procrastination can often cost us, can it? cost me a bit of sweat that day. You know, to go even further that day, I had put something else off, which was I had a rear tire on my mower that had been going bad for a while. And I, you know, I just, what I would do every time I'd go out to mow is I would pump it up and I have this like ridiculous uh, ball pump that I would hook to my tire and pump up this tire. And it was so bad that I would ride around for about 10 minutes and it would go flat again. So I'd have to get off. I would just carry the pump with me and pump up that tire every time I just, and so it would happen about every 10 minutes, it would take four or five pumps to get my lawn mowed, right, every time, and so hottest day of the year, I'm mowing, I'm hating life, and what happens that day, it, the tire, which I had been putting off for so long, finally fell off the rim, <laughs> and so not only on the hottest day of the year am I mowing the grass, which I hate, but I had the pleasure of fixing a tire uh, in that heat, and I don't know if you've ever re-rimmed uh, or a tire onto a rim. It's not easy, I did, and I learned that the hard way. So listen, procrastination often costs us something, and maybe that's a silly story, and maybe some of you can relate to that, or maybe there's some other stories in your life that have larger implications of things that we've put off, and maybe those things it costs you something. And so I want you to think about something in your mind today that you're procrastinating. Maybe there's many things, but just think about one thing in your life that you're procrastinating, that you're putting off. And I want you to play that out in your mind. I want you to think about a little bit about what would happen if you wait until it's too late to do that thing. What would happen if it was too late? Because oftentimes, procrastination cost us something. Now, we're in the book of Acts again, chapter 24, we're going to jump into, and we've kind of already set the stage for where we are. And, and so as we read this together, there's a lot going on. You know, it's not the most exciting chapter in the Bible. It's really Paul standing in front of this governor, but there's a lot of little details in this that make it super interesting. I'm, I love a little bit of history, and so there's a lot of details in here. As we read it, I'm going to stop, and we're just going to kind of talk through it a little bit. Um, but it's at the end of the chapter that I really want to focus on today, and I want to talk today a little bit about procrastination. And so as we look at uh, chapter 24 in Acts, by the way, uh, uh, if you have a Bible uh, that you bring, I'd love for you to turn that. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible today, we uh, would love to give you a Bible. Uh, we keep uh, in the back there, there's a little bookshelf, and there's always free Bibles. If anybody here doesn't have a Bible, you should have one. And uh, we'd love to be able to give you that today. So make sure on your way out or now or whenever you can grab a Bible, they are free for anybody uh, who would like them. Matter of fact, we just got in a brand new, fresh shipment of brand new sparkling Bibles. So uh, today's a good day to grab one. Acts chapter 24, though. At the header, it says in my Bible, it says it's Paul's trial before Felix. And it starts out, it says, five days later. Now, if you remember... This, five days later, what that means is that uh, Paul had been taken captive 
right, by the Roman guards. And he uh, was in uh, Jerusalem, but because of the threat on his life, they moved him to Caesarea because of the riots and everything. And so they moved him. He's been there now for five days in Caesarea in the protective custody of uh, this governor in Judea, okay? And uh, this governor would have been the guy who had taken over for Pontius Pilate, right? Pontius Pilate was the governor who uh, presided and was responsible ultimately to allow the crucifixion of Jesus, remember? Okay, so this guy, Felix, has taken over for Pontius Pilate. His name, uh, full name, was Antonius Felix, And uh, interesting story about this guy. He was actually born a slave. Very interesting. Born a slave. Most of his early life he spent in service, in slavery. But because of his older brother, who uh, just happened to become friends with the emperor Claudius at some point. As kids, they became friends. And because of that friendship between the emperor Claudius and Felix's brother, uh, uh, as they got older... The emperor Claudius allowed them to come out of slavery, and he gave them positions in the government. And Felix actually ended up with a higher position. He is uh, remembered in history as somebody who uh, was able to reach the highest status as a slave. And, uh, you know, what's interesting, uh, if you read about Felix, uh, historians don't remember Felix fondly. Matter of fact, uh, they said that that he uh, uh, held the position of a ruler, but ruled like a slave. And meaning what they were getting at was he was a very ruthless, hard ruler. And you would think somebody who came out of slavery and was able to enjoy what it means to lead at that level, that he would have been a little more benevolent, but he was not. He was a very harsh, very cruel, uh, heavy-handed leader, and uh, terribly brutal uh, to, the, to his subjects. And so, as we read this chapter, uh, we also are going to find later on that Felix holds uh, the honor of being the person who missed the greatest opportunity, maybe the greatest opportunity in the entire Bible Uh, because as we said, and you'll see here, procrastination often costs us something. So verse 124, uh, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. Now, Tertullus was a very well-known orator at the time. He was a lawyer. He was the original dream team, if you would. He's a very high-paid, very uh, well-known uh, lawyer uh, at the time. And so uh, Ananias, who was the leader of the Sanhedrin at the time, like he was about 80 years old. And you see somebody who despised Christianity and Paul and the leaders of the early church so much that at 80 years old, he wanted to not only find the best lawyer in the area, but he was willing to make a 60-mile journey at that time, a very difficult journey, as an 80-year-old man to be there to, to uh, uh, put Paul on trial at this time. So you can tell the amount of uh, uh, hatred that Ananias had uh, for Paul and the early church leaders. So uh, Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. And when Paul was called in, Tortullus presented his case before Felix. And I can just hear this guy, this pompous lawyer, stating 
in reading these things off to, uh, to Felix. And he says, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, which was a lie, and he knew it, right? Felix was known as a very ruthless leader, right? And so he's just buttering up Felix. He said, we've enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms to this nation everywhere in every way. Most excellent, Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Can you just hear this guy? Like, the, he just sounds like uh, uh, he's, he's buttering up this guy, Felix, and trying to get on his good side, you know, not even talking about things that are true. And he goes on in verse 5, and he says, We have found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Now, uh, this word sect is, this is the only time in the Bible that that word is actually used to describe Christians. And, and what Tortullus is doing here is he's really trying to paint this picture of a cult, right? And so he uses this word sect to do that. And he goes on and even goes further. And he uses the word Nazarene, which is by no means a compliment at the time. If you remember uh, back, uh, uh, I forget it, I think it was Nathaniel said that what what good could come out of Nazareth, right? Uh, because Nazareth was known as this place of backwards people, right? Illiterate people, just farmers who didn't know how to do anything. And so when, when Tortullus tells this to the governor, he's, saying, he's not paying a compliment at all. It's this Nazarene cult is what he's trying to get across. And so in verse 6 it goes on and says, and He even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. Uh, what I find interesting is here, if we look at the original King James Version, it, it, it says it a little differently, and I find this super interesting. So uh, verse 6 says in the King James, Who also have gone about to profane the temple, whom we took, and we would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain Lysaeus came upon us, and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Again, here you see Tortullus fabricating a story. Because if we remember back, it was not the Romans who, who were violent at that time. And, and, and here's the thing. This was only five days after the past trial. So Paul would have literally been standing in front of the governor, probably bruised. If there were any signs of bruising, he would have still had them. Uh, you know, they tried to beat him to death. And that was not the Roman guards. That was the leaders of the church at that time. That was the Jewish people. And so here again, we see Tortullus changing and fabricating the story to make it look better to the governor and saying, hey, we didn't do anything wrong here. Matter of fact, your Roman guards came and beat up Paul. Those bruises aren't from us. And so this slick lawyer is uh, uh, fabricating these stories. And so if we go on in verse 8, he says, by examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all of these charges we are bringing against him. And then all the people that had came down there, all of the people around, the other Jewish joined in the accusation, accusations asserting that these things were true. And so with that, Tortullus sits down and says, I rest my case. And then when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, and this is amazing, and Paul was a gifted 
speaker as well. And so listen to his reply. He says, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation. So I gladly make my defense. And what Paul is saying here, he's like, listen, governor, I know you've been around these parts for a long time. And I know that you have seen this sort of thing before. You have seen this pony show before, and you know exactly what this lawyer is trying to do. You know the way that these Jewish leaders act. And so, for that reason, I'm glad that I am here before you and get to make my case before you. Verse 11 goes on, he says, uh, You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem to worship. And so again, if we go back to verse 21 until this point in the story, when Paul enters Jerusalem, only 12 days have passed. We know he spent seven days uh, uh, cleansing and preparing to go into the temple. So um, he was only in Jerusalem for about seven days before he was taken captive. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, man, I've only been in town for a week. There's no way I could have uh, uh, like put together some massive riot. There's no way that, that I organized some big, huge revolt. And so it's just not true. In verse 12, my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. Verse 14, however, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. The way would have been Christianity at the time. That's what they referred to themselves as, the way, the truth, and the life. And so he admits that he is uh, a believer and um, follows that according uh, to the way, which they call a sect, meaning just he's refuting uh, the notion that they are a cult. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written with the prophets, written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Verse 17. After an absence of several years, Paul again is reiterating, listen, I have been gone for years. I... This stuff that's happening in Jerusalem has nothing to do with me. I've only been back for a week. I did not have time or anything to be able to to organize all these riots that they're accusing me of. So uh, where am I at? After uh, an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. And here what Paul is doing, Paul is a smart guy. He knows Roman culture. He knows Roman law. And he, there was this thing in, in Roman law at the time that you could make an accusation about somebody and you could take them to court and they, they would judge on it. But if you wasted the court's time with a false accusation or if it was proven that it was a false accusation then you yourself would have been on trial and could be subject to uh to punishment at that time and so Paul knew this and the people the very people that pulled him out of the synagogue at the time weren't there and he knew that and 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 according to Roman law they had to come and present their case and so he knew that that wasn't happening 
And so in verse 20, he goes on and says, Or these who are here should state what crime they found me in when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. So verse 22, it goes on and it says, Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. This is very interesting that Felix this governor would, uh, would be known as somebody who was acquainted with the way or was well acquainted with Christianity. Uh, and some of the research I did, uh, it doesn't really specify that, but there are some things about where uh, Simon the sorcerer, I don't know if you remember him, uh, he was the guy that uh, was trying to uh, do miracles in the name of Jesus, and they had to tell him, hey man, uh, uh, stop doing that, right? And so um, he was around uh, at that time and may have been friends with Felix and could have been exposed uh, at that time to Christianity through him. And so nevertheless, uh, he was well acquainted with the way other, other uh, commentaries talk about that. Just the uh, presence of Christians in that area would have been an example to Felix of how Christians would live and they live peacefully and they would live honestly and they would help one another and they were good citizens. And so maybe in that way, Felix was acquainted with the way. But nevertheless, he knew enough about Christianity and the way at that time that he was able to see through what was going on with the accusers and understand Paul and and Christianity at that time. And it says that, Uh, He was well acquainted with the way and adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes, I will decide your case. And he ordered the centurion uh, to keep Paul under guard, but not uh, uh, to, uh, or I'm sorry, to keep him uh, under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Now, if we were to look further down, there is no record of uh, Lysias ever coming uh, to Caesarea to uh, speak about Paul or to do that. And so uh, you get the sense that Felix here was just saying, okay, okay, like, I hear you. It's okay. We're done. Uh, just take Paul into kind of basically house arrest. Uh, let him do kind of whatever he wants and let people come uh, to take care of him. And so uh, he didn't really make a decision, but he didn't go any further than that either. And so he just allowed uh, Paul uh, to go be on house arrest. And so here in 24 is where I really want to kind of focus in, and, and we'll start seeing uh, this idea of procrastination here. But in verse 24, it says, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. And just a side note on Drusilla, it's super interesting uh, who she is. So she would have been the great-granddaughter of Herod the Great, Herod the Great is most likely uh, the king at the time over Judea who would have been responsible for the death of the children. You remember when Jesus and the prophecy of Jesus were there and the wise men came, right? And they're like, they're talking about this new baby king. Well, Herod the Great slaughtered all kinds of infant males uh, uh, in response to that prophecy. So this was Drusilla's great-grandfather, uh, it was also the daughter of Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa was the guy who had James killed. 
And uh, he also attempted to kill Peter. Remember, he uh, put Peter in jail, and then in the middle of the night, Peter was able to, to leave jail and uh, with the, the gates just opening up. That was Herod Agrippa. That was her father. Killed James and attempted to kill Peter. She was also... Or, or Her, uh, Herod Agrippa was also the guy, if you remember correctly, he died when the, uh, uh, the angel slain him and he uh, was eaten by worms. Another really cool story in the Bible. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, she was also the niece of Herod Antipas, uh, who was responsible for beheading John the Baptist. So here you have uh, this lady who, by the way, was married before uh, to some prince uh, from Syria and uh, Felix came and uh, stole her away from this prince by uh, having this magician tell her that God said that she needs to be with Felix. So this crazy soap opera around Felix and Drusilla and all the history in her family with the persecution of the early church. And so uh, this is who Paul is interacting with in this moment. And so, as we read on, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. And when I find it convenient, I will send for you. And at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And when two years, two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, But because Felix wanted to grant favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. And so here you have Felix and Drusilla, day after day, or at least often times, conversing with Paul, hearing Paul talking about righteousness, about self-control, about the judgment to come, hearing the message of the way of Jesus Christ, of Jesus' sacrifice of his resurrection from the dead, day after day, for two years, it says. And yet, we don't actually read much about Felix and Drusilla after that in in history. And so we don't really know, did they receive this message from Paul? Did they uh, receive the message of Jesus Christ or become part of the way at all? We don't really know. But what we do know is that uh, within that two-year gap, Felix uh, who was known as, again, being very uh, harsh. And uh, he, uh, there was an uprising in the city of Caesarea, and he squashed that uprising extremely violently, and, and many people died. It was so bad how he dealt with this uprising that he got called to Rome. And that is the last that anybody ever heard of Felix. There is no other record of him at all in any uh, of history. And so uh, that is at that time when Festus comes and takes over. So we have no idea uh, uh, what happened to Felix. The assumption is that Rome was probably tired of dealing with him, so they, they, they finished him. And so within those two years, uh, Felix was gone. 
Uh, Drusilla, on the other hand, um, the only other record of her is about 20 years after this trial. Um, it, Josephus records that she was in uh, the city of, I want to make sure I get this right, uh, Pompeii, uh, during the time uh, when Mount Vesuvius erupted. And there's actually uh, pictures of where they believe that they found Drusilla and her son in the lava as they've uncovered the city. And so Drusilla, uh, her life ended uh, in the city of Pompeii. And again, we don't know uh, what happened. We don't know uh, what they uh, received or didn't receive. We only know that, 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 that Paul spoke with him on and off for two years. And what the Bible talks about is Felix still looking for a bribe from Paul and his people. And, yet, and then we find that they meet their demise uh, later in life. And so here we see possibly the biggest missed opportunity in the Bible. Where these people sat and engaged with Paul, talked with Paul. And I, it, it's so uh, almost unnerving the way Felix responded and said, that's enough for now. That's enough for now. You may leave, and when I find it convenient... When I find it convenient. It's a procrastination. It often costs us something. None of us know when our last day on earth is. That's just a reality um, of, of our life. And Drusilla, you know, she didn't think she'd be stuck in that lava. And Felix certainly didn't think he'd go to Rome amongst all of his, his buddies and, and, and never be heard from again. And so... This morning, as we kind of round this out, I just simply want to ask everybody in the room this morning, what have you been procrastinating? What have you been putting off? And I believe in a room this size that there's probably somebody here that the Lord is stirring in their hearts, not unlike he did for Felix. That he's stirring in your heart that you know that there's something that you have been putting off that you need to do. In the passage, Paul talks of three things with Felix and Drusilla. He talks about righteousness, talks about self-control, and he talks about the judgment to come. Now, righteousness is this thing that we are unable to obtain on our own. It's, it's about this idea of being right with God, about being right uh, to be able to be with God. And so righteousness is nothing uh, that we can uh, uh, obtain on our own. We are sinful people, but it is through what Jesus did on the cross that we are able to obtain righteousness, not through our own works, but because of what Jesus did. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, that God made him, Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so it is only through Jesus, it is only through what he did that we are able to be made right with God. And it's by accepting what he did on the cross, by, by coming to earth, living a sinless life, becoming sin and taking on the punishment of our sin, that we are able to be right and righteous, therefore, before God. Paul talked about uh, self-control. 
And self-control is this thing that is kind of, it comes after righteousness. When we uh, take on the righteousness of God, right, and we become uh, followers of Jesus and we believe in what he did for us, then we uh, move into uh, this byproduct, which is self-control and, and living in a different way. The Bible talks about us becoming new creations, that we think differently, that we act differently because of this engagement with the righteousness that we receive through Jesus. Uh, in, in Galatians 5.19, it talks about this contrast between these styles of living. And in Galatians 5.19, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I don't know about you, but before I met Jesus, uh, I could find myself in a lot of that list. But when I engaged and I, in, and I came into contact with uh, the righteousness of God and the, the, the fact that he bore my sins, then in verse 22, we read the contrast. And it, it says uh, that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law and gladly or hopefully I look more like that than I used to and so there's righteousness that only comes through Jesus and when we engage and interact with that righteousness then self-control begins to be part of our life and we begin to look different than we did before and so to 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 Felix and and Drusilla this was crazy because they had lived however they wanted you know and done whatever they wanted and so I don't know about you, but like in my life, I need self-control and, and, and I need that in my life. And, and, and I struggle still to make sure that I'm not on that, that bad list. But the point is, is that we struggle, right? Before, before I knew Jesus, there was no struggle for me. I did whatever I wanted. I did whatever I felt like. And so it's righteousness, self-control. And, and Paul is speaking to them about that. And I'm and then the third thing um, that he talks about is the, the judgment. This is kind of where righteousness and self-control comes together. And, and you see, one day, all of us, all of us will stand before God. And we'll have to give an account for the decisions that we made in our life. And what God is going to do is going to look at you and if you've received Jesus, if you've acknowledged what he did for you on the cross, and it says that we're covered by what he did, that we have become righteousness because of him. And so that's what he's going to see. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Again, the good news is, is that Jesus covers our sins. He's paid the price for those. God no longer sees our sin, but he sees Jesus. And this morning, 
as we close, if God is speaking to you about procrastination, if he's speaking to you, if you feel that in your heart that God has been calling you, today is the day of your salvation. Felix and Drusilla, no clue what the future held for them, but in two years of time, they sat and heard over and over and over the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the way to be righteous, the way to be right with God is through Jesus. And so this morning, I just very simply want to ask you, what are you procrastinating? You know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe you feel like there are things in your life that you need to get right before you can receive Jesus. And that's just simply not the case. That's not how it works. We don't have to get a shower before we get clean, right? That's not the point. God came to earth, paid the price for your sin so that you could be right with God. And the way we do that is by simply acknowledging that and believing in what he did. We become the righteousness of God. Maybe, uh, you know, in you there's something that says, well, I'm just not done with uh, the fun yet. And uh, I would just encourage you again that Drusilla and Felix had no idea what the future held. And so today is the day of your salvation. Uh, I'd love it if we could all just bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we wrap up. And I want to give you an opportunity, if, if the Lord is, is impressing on your heart that today is the day that you need uh, to receive uh, Jesus into your heart, if you need to receive what he had, He's done for you on the cross, then, then I just want to give you a moment of pause. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but, but there is no promise of tomorrow. Today is the day of your salvation. And so if that's you today, if you are feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit saying that, that today's the day and you need to receive Jesus in your heart, I'd love it if you would just do me the favor of raising your hand just quietly as no one's looking around so I could pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. And so I'd love it this morning if we could just all maybe pray this prayer together. No one praying uh, by themselves this morning. And this is just words of, of acknowledging what we're talking about here. But it's really just a starting point. A beginning, a walk with Jesus. And so as we pray this prayer... Uh, let's all pray it together and just repeat after me this morning. Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I am ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus and Savior. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if that was you this morning, you prayed that prayer for the first time, we just want to congratulate you. Listen, in the back of your chairs, saying a prayer and, and, and making a decision is the first step. The next step is walking together with others. The next step is getting baptized and publicly declaring that you are a follower of Jesus. So in the back of your chairs, if, if, if either of those are you, if you said that prayer for the first time, maybe you rededicated your life this morning, we want to know. We want to help you along that journey. We want to help you into your next steps. So you can simply put your name and fill out on that card what you, you've done. Or uh, if you want to come forward, Pastor Jeff and our team will be up here to pray with you, to take communion with you this morning. Please don't just go away and think it's over. It's just the beginning. And so we want to encourage you to stay connected and talk with someone this morning. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, be back next week for uh, chapter 25 of Acts. Thank you. God bless.